Learning for Life at Gustavus is produced by J.J. Aiken and Matthew Dobosensky of the Gustavus Office of Marketing. Will Clark, Senior Communications Studies major and videographer at Gustavus, who also provides technical expertise to the podcast, and me, your host, Greg Castor. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Gustavus Adolphus College. My guest today is Professor Pam Connors of Communication Studies or Comp Studies. And Pam, you're the first for this new podcast. So congratulations and well, on that. Yeah, excited to have you. Uh, you are the also the chair of Comp Studies and the director of the Gustavus Deliberation and Dialogue Program. So it's great to have you. Uh, the historian that I am, I like to start with a little bit of history mm-hmm. about people. So could you tell us a little bit about uh, how you found your way to communication studies or comp studies, if that's okay to mm-hmm. call it that, and uh, as that is your field of teaching and, and research. Absolutely. Well, uh, I found communication studies in college. My mm-hmm. first year um, of undergraduate, I went to a small liberal arts that college. That was Bates? Bates College Maine. in Maine, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and a little bit smaller than Gustavus. And I actually went to college and I thought I might be a math major. Uh, Uh, And so I got there, but I said, you know, I'm not sure if this is what I really, you know, want to do for the rest of my life, but I love math. So uh I was studying uh it, but I was looking for something else that kind of captured my interest. And somebody recommended a class called Contemporary Rhetoric. Uh, And I fell in love. Yeah. Um, And rhetoric, right, I'm a rhetorician, so we have subfields Mm. in communication studies. Mm -hmm. Um, I study rhetoric, which is, um, well, Aristotle would define it as the faculty of discovering in any situation all the available means of persuasion. Right. We often hear about rhetoric in the world as being empty talk. But I uh, argue that it is anything but, right? In fact, rhetoric is examining how language and symbols are incredibly powerful and how they shape the way we think, how we act, what we believe, how we communicate with each other. Uh, Was there a particular speech or address at that time that you remember that really stood out? Absolutely. So we looked at a a bunch of different things in that class that really struck me. We looked at commercials on TV. Hmm. We looked at news coverage. Mm But we also studied Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Uh, yeah. And and everybody knows that that speech is is phenomenal, right? right? Top speech of the 20th yeah, century. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really, it stands out. Um, but what struck me was we spent the whole class and as students in the class, we talked about that speech and all the things that we thought were really impressive and, and amazing in terms of how he crafted, um, right, organized it, how he used language to capture and captivate people's attentions Mm -hmm. and imaginations about what was possible. And at the end of the class, we thought we had really unpacked that speech. And Mm -hmm. our professor, who was a rhetorician, spent 10 minutes just sort of summarizing all of the things that we hadn't seen, right? (laughs) And all of a sudden, I thought, we went from this speech is great to this speech is unbelievably amazing. Yeah. Uh, and so I was just captivated by how rich and deep and how powerful symbols and words could be it's in capturing powerful. our imagination. A lot of people don't, I don't know if you remember, if you got into this, a lot of people don't know that that march and that speech were also about economic opportunity. Absolutely. It was called the March for, what was it called? March Washington for Freedom and Jobs, I yes. think, or Jobs and Freedom. Yeah. Absolutely. And that yeah. set some of the, my trajectory for my um, my early work. I uh, was really thinking about uh, rhetoric of economics. So uh-huh. I actually took some of my math background or my math interest and combined it for thinking about how do we 
use and how do we how do language and discourse and public debates shape the way we think about um, you know different economies, but also uh, people in different economic positions, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes we tend to overlook or describe people who don't have a lot of resources and means in pretty negative ways. And we also then um, sort of uphold an image of uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and the American dream have a really powerful way of helping us think about what, what does it mean to be a good American? Absolutely. Which often means, you know, striving for great economic wealth. um, Right. And that sometimes can cause a lot of imbalances. Is that where your uh, article on labor's rhetoric came in? Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So I was interested a lot in discourses of work and how, um, how those have, uh, you know, shaped the way we think about uh, what is good work, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, is worthwhile, but also um, a lot of that shaped how we think about people who aren't able to work, whether because of disability or right. because of poverty or because of um, right circumstance mm-hmm. and how those sort of unequal systems can sometimes get overlooked when we celebrate, to, you know, work as a uh, the only way and and certain types of work is right, more valuable than of others. Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. Labor historian here, so I, I, I love it. <laughs> um, I'm interested in this uh, program, uh, the Gustavus Deliberation and Dialogue Program, mm-hmm. which I confess, as I said before we started recording, I had not known about. Um, it sounds great, and I assume it has something to do with your overall interest in in civic discourse and. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd call it activism or citizen participation, because you just say a little bit about that program, sure. how it started and what it's what it's about. Absolutely. Well, the communication studies department about three or four years ago started talking about how could we um, use our expertise in communication studies to help guide students, um, and not just in our classrooms, in our classes, but mm-hmm. beyond the classroom to right. think about the role of civic discussion in public life, mm-hmm. right? How do we talk with each other about our differences, across those differences, and with those differences, right? So how do we come together in conversation and in and in disagreement sometimes, knowing that we all have different perspectives, but that we need to we don't need to give those up, right? right. We don't need to give up our differences in order to work together because mm-hmm. we need to figure out how to work together. Right. And sometimes, particularly in a really politically divided, digitally dominated world, we can get really caught up in our enclaves and our differences, right? And sure. sort of only say, I'm only going to talk to people I agree with, or I'm not sure how to talk with people that I don't agree mm-hmm. with. Um, and so we uh, developed, uh, modeled after some other uh, examples around the country is how do we help cultivate and study and examine communication practices that help us become um, better at talking with has each that, other? Has that made you more hopeful in the current climate? or <laughs> It has. It has? Good. And I think uh, what we've seen is that students are really hungry for this, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we do, we have a group of students who... Um, are what we call our fellows in our in our deliberation and dialogue program, and they learn um, strategies for researching and setting up conversations and facilitating those conversations so that people can feel comfortable coming together and saying, "Here's what I believe, and this is what I think," without being concerned about their perspective being. Um, demeaned or diminished. That's great. Um, and uh, when students enter the, we you know we we ask students what they think after they've participated, and they inevitably say, "Wow, it was so refreshing 
to be able to say what I think and hear and learn from others. <laughs> and, yelled at or right. Yelled at. <laughs> and and the goal isn't at the end that you've changed your mind, right? Yeah. Nobody has to change their mind. Right. But what we see are that people are saying, but I learned something, right? I learned something more about the issue yeah. that I didn't know. I learned something more about other students and other people that I didn't know before I walked in. I have a better appreciation for who you are um, because right. I learned to listen to you and, and you listen to me. Is there, do you think there's a, here I'm speaking as a historian and thinking about our tradition of very uncivil discourse in this country, <laughs> duels in Congress, and, but is there uh, a danger of, of this emphasis on civil discourse sort of muting mm -hmm. debate that needs to happen, muting discussion of issues that really do need to happen and about which some people are legitimately angry? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and right, and often what we talk about is civic discourse, right? So right, that it okay. is important in That's our important communities in order to be able to live together is mm -hmm. to learn how to talk with each other. That doesn't mean that there aren't moments and, me and needs for right really strong advocacy and there are certainly many many examples right historical right. examples of when sometimes incivility is the only thing that can disrupt yes. uh, communities that may be stuck right, right. in one way of thinking so incivility and or uncivil discourse and civic discourse are not necessarily <laughs> mutually exclusive. <laughs> right, exactly. And right in our world and our democracy, some calls for both. Right. Um, but what we are seeing is that, um, right, when we think about, especially when when I talk with students and, and, and others, right, are disillusioned with kind of the national discourse yes. that seems very polarized right. and, and very um, uh, unwilling to kind of talk with each other, that... Thinking locally and thinking about our communities and the people in our communities that we have, we're all humans, yes. right? And that we have a humanity. I think we're reminded of that when we sit down and talk That's with each other. That's neat. I like that. I like the connection to the local mm -hmm. too, yeah. which which leads nicely to my next question, which has to do with this project bridging called Bridging the Divide in yes. Minnesota. Could yeah. you say a little bit about that, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, we're piloting. I assume it's connected to the other. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're piloting that this year. So uh, the Bridging the Divide started at the University of Chicago, their Institute of Politics, and they were interested in how we could bring students from different areas and different perspectives from across sort of a rural-urban divide that mm -hmm. we often see in the country. So people coming from rural communities, having right a very different perspective um, that might be guide their political identities than, than folks in the we urban call areas. call outstate out Minnesota, I right. think is the term. <laughs> right. <laughs> the rural, yeah. Yeah, and so part of what they were looking for was how do we, how do we build students' ability to see themselves as civic leaders? What kinds of things can we do to bring those different perspectives together? Um, so the early versions that they've they've done and and building and in Chicago have been were really productive and they wanted to expand that. So they That's partnered terrific. with us in Minnesota and said, "Hey, what could you do? And could you build a using your expertise and deliberation and dialogue? Could you build a model that right? What could we do if we really put students not just sort of hearing from experts, but really put them in conversation with each other in dialogue? That's so, terrific. Um, so we had students from Gustavus and students from Minneapolis Community and Technical College. Uh -huh. um, we had our first 
first dialogue last week, actually, of a series of three we're piloting this and spring. And the dialogues all take place within Minnesota, or do you uh, go to Chicago at some point? We This year we're going to be all in Minnesota. Uh-huh. Uh, we went to Minneapolis College campus for the first one. Uh, we're going to do one online in between, so in March we'll follow up. And in the third one, we'll, the students will come to Gustavus um, on May Day. That's great. Maybe we can bring Axelrod here. That's he, right. He, I, like, I like his podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That sounds so great. Yeah. Then you've had this, I think just sounded terrific, this uh, grant from the college, the, the Council of Independent Colleges, or the CIC, called uh, Humanities Research for the Public Good. And if I'm remembering correctly, you're doing, still working on that a bit. And could you tell us a little bit about that project, its genesis and where it's at right now? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I love about this project is that it engages students really directly and explicitly in the research process in yeah, the humanities. That's great. Um, and it also has been really interdisciplinary in nature, which highlights, um, you know, how we work together across this campus and not just, you know, in our own departments. Right, right. Uh, so this project uh, is centered on looking at a box, an archival box of material in our Lutheran Church archives here at Gustavus. Mm-hmm. Um, that is from 1948 to 1952, mm. papers from the Refugee Resettlement Service. Oh, wow. And it specifically looks at how, um, right, there are pamphlets in there, there are documents that helped uh, people get resettled in the area, specifically in this region. So what's really oh, cool about terrific. it in terms of a local connection is yeah. that we can see the history right after World War II of how here people in St. Peter um, and then in the region right around in Nicolette County um, and beyond really opened the doors to refugees to host them in their homes, That's right? To amazing. help them get their own, get on their feet and find jobs. And what would you know much about the backgrounds of these refugees? I mean, are some of them Jewish or not? Or um, mostly? Most Ter- of them are, they're coming from Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe, uh, yeah. Latvia and Ukraine mm-hmm. um, were two large uh, places that they came from. Um, whether they were, not all of them were Jewish. Right. I, I think some of them might've been, but uh, yeah. but many of them were, were just fleeing you know, right. a horrible circumstance yeah. um, and a, a devastated country. Uh, and and Minnesota really set up and established an infrastructure for supporting and uh, helping refugees. Wow. Um, and so they came through. So it's been a really cool way of looking at our local history here right. in St. Peter. Yes. Um, and uh, the, the grant was part of what prompted this because they required you to use a collection from your own library. Um, And it was, it's phenomenal. We have a great archive. We have a wonderful archive here. Um, And as a, not a, right, I'm not a historian per se, but I love to look at the rhetoric, right, Mm -hmm. in particular historical moments. And so um, I worked also, as I was putting this project together with Madalena Marinari, who's a history professor and, and an expert on immigration history, U.S. immigration history, to say, hey, can you help us sort of unpack some of this broader historical context so that we could um, understand a little bit about and, and unpack some more of the local That's history? That's just great. And we're looking specifically also at the the language, right, and thinking about how are refugees characterized um, at the time. Are, are all the materials you're looking at in English or from the refugee organizers or committee? Yes. Okay, so yeah. that you don't have that language barrier. We don't with. have a language barrier yeah. with this one. Um, yeah, but we are, I mean, some of the pamphlets are amazing. So we're actually basing our, the theme of our, we're doing an, a public exhibit that will be up at the Treaty Center. So The Nicola County Historical Society, right? Yes, right, Not far from campus. Right. Come, come everybody and see yeah. it. <laughs> and when it, does it open, do you know? It'll be open. We're going to have an opening reception 
open, I think it's Wednesday, May 6th. It'll okay. be open for the month of May Terrific. in the Treaty Center yeah. um, for all who want to go through. Um, but it's going to be called Welcome New Neighbors, uh, Refugee Resettlement uh, in Minnesota from 1942, 1948 to 1952. Um, but Welcome New Neighbors comes from a pamphlet um, huh. that was produced at the time to help people think about refugees as neighbors. Um, right, A really important characterization and other ways that refugees were framed was um, as an asset, right? How they can help support our communities. Thinking of people coming to our state as, um, right, neighbors is a is a powerful rhetorical right. thing. Um, to think about them as people who can help contribute um, our understandings of ourselves. That rhetoric and, is a little different from the rhetoric around immigration today. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some of that rhetoric. And, and those, and those strains <laughs> exist then, existed then too, sure, right? And sure, sure. Well, that was ways. my next question. Yeah. Is it, is mm-hmm. it, I mean, is it mostly a happy story? Do you have any sense of where some of these refugees experiencing prejudice or discrimination for whatever reasons in in the area? Or was it all open arms, as the pamphlet instructed? It wasn't all open arms. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the uh, one of the things that we see, though, is that the majority of people were about helping people mm-hmm you know, settle into our community right. here. Um, that doesn't mean people didn't face discrimination sure. and didn't face uh, right, really challenging circumstances, right? It's it's awful to uproot and, and have to leave your homeland right. um, and resettle someplace that's completely foreign and where you may or may not right. be well-versed in the language. Um, and we see that today. I was just going to say and, today. And you're was... not coming from great circumstance, right? You're right. coming from near death, right? War-torn right. circumstance. So. And this, in this area in particular, from yeah. uh, parts of Africa, Somali and Somalia, Somali, yeah. And that was part of what um, prompted this investigation, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we're thinking not just, right, we're looking at our past around refugee resettlement so that we can also, as we move forward, think about it in relationship to our current um, opportunities to welcome our new neighbors. That's excellent. I love how you're yeah. doing all this work that involves students and research and the community as well. Let's talk a little bit about com studies, if I may. So what what are two reasons or so a student should should at least take a course in com studies if not major in it? Oh, absolutely. So uh, I mean communication studies, I, I often say, you know, probably about ninety-nine percent of the conflicts that we have in the world <laughs> have some sort of communication miscommunication uh-huh. or problem communicating at its core. So uh, we haven't resolved <laughs> and right. we have not perfected our communication. So useful to um, think about how we can do that better. Our department has a what we say call a critical interpretive perspective hmm. on communication. So we really study kind of three different areas. Uh, rhetoric is one, mm-hmm. um, how symbols and discourses shape our perspectives and identities. Um, the second is media studies. So we have we think about how is communication mediated, right? Social media, right. television, etc. Um, and uh, really, those courses students often say they can never watch a TV show the same way again um, <laughs> because it really opens their eyes in terms of thinking about how influential and what kinds of different dynamics are at play. And then interpersonal and intercultural communication. So how do we talk with each other on a, on a regular basis? All and, very right? important. And those things are all, obviously, those areas are intertwined. Um, but we think, right, those courses and our courses, we really challenge students to be able to um, think critically, right, traditional liberal arts skills that you can get across this campus. But we really invested also in helping students be able to articulate their perspectives 
um, clearly, right? So oral communication, right. how do you speak effectively and respond to others, um, right? That's really what speaking is about, responding That's um, important. To, the, to the circumstances yeah. in which you're with. You have to read the situation right. and be able to respond. In before, otherwise, you're just age. talking at people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's not that, useful. W- w- which there is a lot of. I don't know if there's more right. today than in the past, but I, I run into that all the time. Yeah. So we stress talking with, not talking mm-hmm. at. Um, and then, of course, employers are, are really anxious to have strong communication um, is one of the number one things Oral that they're and, looking and written for. both, you're right. Yeah, to be yeah. able to write and to be able to speak. So yeah. um, even if, you you know, somebody doesn't major in communication, uh, you can you can get a lot from um, just a class uh, taking one course that can really uh, open up your right. perspective. And you've been teaching, so you went to a liberal arts college, mm-hmm. and you're teaching at a liberal arts college for, you've been here since 2011 or something like yes. that. What, um, is there something special about Gustavus that you you really enjoy uh, that, that either reminds you of your experience at Bates or is perhaps different from or a bit of both? I What I love about um, Gustavus and, and liberal arts colleges generally, but I think is particularly true here is how readily students uh, come to embrace the opportunity to think critically about their own perspective. Uh, that Again, that doesn't mean change their mind right. or change who they are, but open up who they are to see the world through a lot of different lenses. Yes. And I think liberal arts um, identity of a college really embraces that, right? To think about uh, right how who we are and how the science is and how the social sciences and how humanities and the arts can really uh, reframe our own uh, sense of self and our sense of community. That's right. Sense of self to our humanity. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're doing great work. Very interesting. Now I want to major in comm studies. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Take for care. having me, Greg. My pleasure. Thank you, Pam.